0: Greetings, dear listeners. This week, we have the French philosopher Philippe Lemoine on the show. Philippe is a contrarian in the best sense of the word. The conversation starts off with him making the case for adding more direct democracy into our political system. We then turn to Philippe's experience debating with scientific experts during COVID and what his experience tells us about how unhealthy our relationship with science really is. In the bonus episode, for paying subscribers only, We turn once again to the woke wars and whether the fever is breaking. If you're not yet a paying member, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe and help support us. On to the show. ¶¶
1: very pro-democracy I, I could talk about this direct democracy I mean oh uh, wow yeah.
0: well there we go yeah so uh yeah go ahead yes. start us I, off on direct I, democracy. I, I have various arguments in favor of so you like you like uh so well, I'm not you know
1: I agree with you that the kind of thing you describe you know where you have like policymakers have constant like you know second by second inputs on public opinion I mean of course it's not feasible, but if it were like I agree it would likely be bad but um I think that uh, there are very good arguments for in favor of like some measure of direct democracies, and so one of them is that I see that as a way to fix or to partially fix what I think is essentially um, an imperfection of the what you might call the political market. So basically, the political offer it's for if only for practical reasons, it's always going to be limited. You're always you you're only going to have like um, a limited number of packages of position, as, mm. as as it were, you know, so mm. like, um, because you can only have a limited number of candidates uh, and, you know, people have to create, to be like viable candidate, they need to make coalitions. So, you know, they can't be, you can't have that many of them and like they need, so it limits the range of combinations of positions held by any candidate, mm. at least any viable candidate. And so it forces people effectively to vote for candidates who have positions that they disagree with. Even if uh, they might actually, you know, if you were asked only about that specific issue, there might be a majority uh, that agree with them on that position, and so that's, I think, one reason why, you know, this, this is an imperfection of the political market, and I see uh, stuff like popular initiatives in Switzerland as a way of partially fixing that. Because if you, if you, so you know, for instance, uh, I, I was actually, actually, you know, when there was a referendum in France in two thousand five. About whether we were going to accept the um um the so-called European Constitution. I mean, it was really a treaty, but uh, and so it was rejected. But then in two thousand two years later, in two thousand seven, well, it was actually in two thousand eight, but in two thousand seven, Sarkozy was elected president, and eventually had it. Essentially, the same thing. It wasn't quite the same thing, but approved by uh, for all practical purposes, was the same thing. The approved treaty. by by Parliament. Yeah, He approved, the, ratified the treaty. Well, a new version, but again, it was for practical purposes the same thing. Yeah. and his argument was like, I didn't betray, um, you know, uh, the the popular will because I did say during the campaign that I would do this. First of all, it's not quite true that he said he would do this. He said he would vote. I would have Parliament vote a simplified treaty, and the treaty in question wasn't simplified at all. It was just basically the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that's not the most important point. The most important point is that look, uh, people vote for you know they didn't vote Sarkozy like they had plenty of reasons to vote for Sarkozy, and a majority of the popul- of the voters at least voted for him. And clearly, uh, if you look at polls, you know, not only because it, like they, they hadn't, most of them hadn't changed their mind on this issue, so they didn't vote for him because of this. They voted for him in spite of this. And this is fine, you know, this is
0: a... I mean, I just say it's more than fine, though. I mean, look, the the counter is, and Shadi can adjudicate as the expert on democracy here, but the, the counter on this is that uh, you want to actually empower individuals in mm-hmm. office to make decisions that, in fact, you know, don't necessarily go back. Uh, the idea that the people actually self-govern is one of those nice rhetorical fictions, but mm-hmm. doesn't actually function that way. I think the, the closer to the reality. I mean, Shadi and I go back and forth a lot on the sort of the moral weight and the importance of democracy about dignity and all the rest of this. But ultimately in pragmatic terms, uh, democracy is a very efficient way of legitimating turnover of power. And the, insofar as the people rule, um, that is a uh, mechanism that plays into this sort of the ability to change rulers because it's easier and legitimacy is more easy to conjure up basically. So you know, I, I I take all your points on that. But the, the question is, is, you know, uh, if you just very pragmatically, if you were to proliferate positions and try and match positions much more carefully towards people, uh, towards whatever the people are in aggregate, um, is it more governable? I'm not so sure. Uh, one, two. Um, You know i i I like to think of the people as sort of a babbling schizophrenic not as you know there's this metaphor of the people and then we imagine like the leviathan in that famous you know uh uh, drawing for for thomas Hobbes. you know made up of of multitude and it's one big person but in fact it's just a, a babbling mess and you know this is what's so interesting to me about what i was saying you know what is an election but just a single poll It's just a snapshot and it doesn't actually tell us anything inherent about the will of the people. It's a poll that we've sanctified by diktat. This is the one poll that matters. It's, you know, uh, the sample size is bigger than most polling uh, firms can actually manage at any one time. So, you know, presumably it's a little bit more legitimate, but it's just a fucking poll. And so, you know, strip away all of the sort of metaphysics of the people and the rest of this, you just have a a very clever legitimating mechanism which empowers, a ruler for a delimited amount of time to make decisions efficiently. So That uh, sounds
2: great, though. Like what you just described, that sure. is really the heart of democracy. Yeah,
0: but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, Shadi. So you like
2: Look, this, though. Well, I like this in the sense that I, I believe in giving leaders a wide degree of latitude once they're elected. Um, so four years or two years or whatever it is, they do they do, you know, more or less what they want to do. And then we as citizens can decide how we feel about that four years later. So in that sense, it's not that the people rule, it's that the people rule on whether leaders stay in power for determined periods of time. That seems pretty good to me. Um, And that's why like when Trump won in 2016, I was like, okay, this is scary, but at the same time, he can do what he wishes and he can have crazy ideas and implement his anti-immigration and even anti-Muslim policies and then we do have to in some sense wait 4 years later to decide how we feel about that, which we did. Democracy's awesome. Mm-hmm. That, I mean like people don't realize like things worked out pretty good but I don't you know not to <laughs> people don't like it when I say that because um, <laughs> people want to like self loathe and all that um also on foreign policy and this is where I think Philippe you you'll have I think an interesting and divergent view and we should also tell our dear listeners that um Philippe-
1: I'll want to reply to that too because I have-
2: yeah yeah sure. I don't
0: know we we'll come back to where yeah, we like, yeah yeah
2: uh, Philippe is is working on a book. Am I allowed to say that you're working on a book? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think, uh, as far as I understand, it's the case against liberal empire.
1: Yeah. What I what I call li- liberal imperialism. I, yeah. I have like be- before. Well, the now the the, the book is not going to be. The book is really going to be like a more like a history of post Cold War uh, West Russia relations. Mm, okay. Uh, and you know, kind of like how we got to the point where we are now. So it's not going to be so much about the current war as about how we got to this point where this what happened was possible and and why i think it wasn't it wasn't inevitable and we could have avoided this but then i I have like i have a forthcoming piece which is going to be i mean it's literally called the 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 case against against liberal imperialism where i argue against this thing that i call liberal imperialism and we we can talk maybe later about this because i'd like to to go back
2: yeah the reason i brought up the foreign policy aspect is because you know, I'm not sure if ordinary Americans should be very engaged on China policy. Like, I, I think that, you know, people get voted, represented elected representatives make uh, they devise Ukraine policy or China policy. I don't know if there's really an effective way to subject foreign policy decisions to the whims of people who don't particularly care about foreign policy. Like no one actually decides who to vote for on the local level based on whether they're hawkish towards China or not. Like that that in isolation is not going to be a determining factor. So at some level, there has to be this idea of delegation. We delegate foreign policy to our elected representatives, and we don't necessarily want there to be like more popular. Well, I mean, you. so it depends. Uh, so if you if you're against liberal imperialism though then you might actually want Americans to play more of a de- direct role under the notion that if they have a say they won't be totally on board with liberal imperialism.
1: Uh yes, although I'm much more skeptical that direct democracy is going to help in foreign policy because I think it's something where people basically don't care about it yeah. and they will and they don't know anything about it and it's very difficult to get them to know something about it because uh, they don't care about it. And so it's much easier to move them, sway them uh, in the way, you know, the people who do know about it, although I think often they make terrible decisions, uh, won't, you know, so this is not, you know, I, while I am in favor of uh, uh, a measure of uh, direct democracy, I'm under no delusion that it would make a huge difference in that case. Mm, you know, I mm. think it would only when things are so bad that uh, representatives would do it anyway because you know it's become it's no longer tenable to yeah. have to continue the policies they have you know so when a lot of people start dying or it costs too much money or but you know it, it takes really it's very it takes a lot before people start caring about foreign policy you know ordinary people is what I mean you know you, you need to have like enough people coming back in body bags or that sort of things and uh, and you know in particular they also don't really don't care at all about what's happening in the world as long as it doesn't affect them. So it's it gets it's very difficult to get them. So, you know, my argument in favor of direct democracy really doesn't rest much on, on foreign okay. policy for this reason. Uh, but coming back to what you were saying, so I actually agree, you know, with the view, broadly with the view you defended, which is, I call, like, the champanterian view of democracy, mm-hmm. where democracy is mostly a legitimation, le- legitimizing uh, mechanism to handle power transitions and I think there's a lot of truth to this and that's a very valuable thing and so I don't think we should see this as like you know like in a way it is a cynical view about democracy but it's not cynical in a bad sense you know that's very important you know if you live in a country where transitions are violent, you know you're very grateful when yes. they're not you know yeah. and then you know because civil wars are really nasty things mm. and uh,
2: best to be avoided
1: yeah so uh so so I, I largely agree with this but In fact, I want to turn this on you. I think that one of the reasons I'm in favor of a measure of direct democracy is that I think that still, even though it is really this, the reason why democracy and in particular competitive elections are uh, legitimizing is because of this idea that people rule themselves. And so if you reach the point where there's too much divergence between the elites and the ordinary people, you break the magic. And so I see direct democracy as a means, putting a little bit of it at least, as a means of ensuring, as a mechanism to ensure that there is not too much divergence. Mm. And, and so, um, and, and I think it's particularly important at the moment because of uh, uh, polarization along educational lines has really increased a lot. And I think has increased the gap between the elites broadly construed and ordinary people. And so, so that's one thing. Uh, one argument I have in favor of uh, at least some uh, mechanism of direct democracy. Uh, And another one is that it's related to another thing you said, where you said, you know, basically people like have, are all over the place. They have no coherent thing. They don't vote. You know, one thing I agree, you know, basically another way of putting your point is that people, people's electoral behavior, the the way they vote, uh, they don't, it's not like, it's not as if they vote so as to maximize the satisfaction of their ideological preferences. That's not how people vote. And I 100 percent agree with this. Uh, but in fact, that's one of my that's the premise of one of my other arguments in favor of direct democracy.
2: So how do people vote, would you say?
1: I think the way people vote basically is that they identify with various social groups and um, they think, okay, what's a guy like me, given the social groups I identify with? who sh- should a guy like me vote for? So they vote primarily on identity, again, like very broadly construed. And so f- to give you an example, I like to give, you know, in France, for instance, it's a very often I've had this conversation, like especially old people. And you talk to them about immigration and they say the most incredibly racist shit. <laughs> Stuff that, you know, Le Pen w- not only wouldn't say publicly, but, but I, I can tell you for a fact, she doesn't even think.
2: Hmm. Like what's an example of something that's so... F- Far right that even Le Pen wouldn't consider like, it. Like
1: for instance, you know, we should send back uh, uh, Muslims even if they're born in France or that kind of. Thing. <laughs> and she not only she doesn't stay away from old people wearing no South of France yeah, well, shotty. Well, it's she, not even legal. I, I
2: don't think you can do that to a French citizen. No, you, no
1: it's not. But they, they don't probably don't know that often and don't care. Uh, but that's the people decide. Yeah, at the end well, of the day, so, change the laws. But so, um, they, so they will. They will tell you stuff like this. You know. And you know it doesn't mean that they would actually do it because then you know if you start doing it you see people on television like crying and stuff and then you know public opinion would shift and stuff so you know I'm not saying they're monsters you know that's not my point you know but they will say stuff like that yeah Um, and um, and yet you know but then you tell them also you're you're gonna vote for Le Pen right and then they're genuinely horrified that you would suggest such a thing (laughs) (laughs) say no (laughs) what are you talking about I'm not a fascist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they just said that kind of thing, you know. I'm not a fascist. I'm never going to vote for Le Pen. That's good. And why yeah. is that? Well, that's because they think of themselves as moderate people.
0: Yeah, they're
1: yeah. not fascists. So they so vote for moderate. So people like yeah. them vote yeah. for moderate. don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, that's an example of how people vote based on identity and not so to satisfy the uh, the maximize the satisfaction of their ideological it, it,
2: preferences. One could say that it's the dinner party test. You think about the dinner parties that you go to on a weekly basis and you have to be comfortable telling your dinner party companions who you voted for you want to be respected and be respectable and you know you have to be part of polite company so can you imagine you know in most parts of paris i presume for the highly educated to say at a dinner party that you voted for Marine Le Pen or even worse, oh, well, Zamor, I don't know. Well, the, I mean, he's further to the right, but in a more intellectual way, perhaps. But it just wouldn't be like, you couldn't say that to your friends. You wouldn't wanna say that to your friends. So this goes back to what we were talking about in, in the last episode where I told Demir that as pissed off as I am towards Democrats, as much as I think that they have crazy ideas on, race gender abortion religion and increasingly now don't seem to be don't seem to be totally comfortable with democracy as i understand it i i I see biden's pro-democracy speech as being contrary to the democratic spirit with all that said i can't really yet imagine voting for a Republican on the local level. I mean, I'm not talking national. That goes without saying that I vote for a Democrat. But even locally, like the idea that I could actually vote for a Republican, something that I've never done before in my life. And part of it is because I think about the people who I know. If people found out that I had voted for a Republican, even on the local level or for a school board or city council, um, they they would see that as a betrayal and it would have severe reputational costs if word got out. Um, I guess I could just keep it private because that's sort of what voting entails, but just the thought that I would be then like lying to people about the choice that I made or hiding the choice that I made on a particular November 8th so I don't know, maybe that's similar. Like it's a tribal thing. My tribe is yeah, my tribe. Yeah, I, I think
1: part of the mechanism is is similar here. It's that basically people care a great deal about the in-group. Uh, and you know, so that's why it's very different being like uh, at odds with your out-group and being at odds. You know, you can be insulted by all sorts of millions of people if they're people that you see at the out-group and that's your peers uh, regard as evil people, etc. not only will it not bother you, typically but it you know it, it will even be a badge of honor and so you, know, you can it can be socially useful uh and you know i think some of the mechanisms are, probably are that that uh underlies this stuff is similar to uh the mechanism that underlie uh, electoral behavior i was
0: talking about i think that's probably the case so so i, I i've got- took down three notes and I, I don't, I want to get back to France because I, I have some specific questions there, but just on the direct democracy, just to sort of- Yeah, round can, can, can I just, well, yeah, can I just finish on mm-hmm. this thing? So, yeah. you know, that's
1: where I was going is that look, so, you know, that's how people vote uh, when they vote for candidates. And, and the problem is that because people vote in this way, this contributes in addition to, and it's made worse by stuff like polarization I was mentioning before, this contributes to a divergence between policies uh, and that are actually implemented and people's preferences. The people still have preferences. I agree that they're largely, that they tend to be all over the place, but, you know, on, on some things, you know, they're not completely. Mm. Uh, you know, there are still some things that, on which people, you know, uh, are pretty constant. And uh, and so, um, so this, the fact that people vote like this when they vote for candidates, representatives, uh, contributes to... Uh, it, increasing or at least maintaining like too much of a gap in some circumstances between policy and and people's preferences. And this, in turn, I think makes, in the long run, democracy less viable. Democracy even as a legitimizing mechanism of the, of, of the sort you were discussing. So I think that having them vote on issues, it reduces the extent to which they base their vote on other considerations because then suddenly, you know, it's really about, it's more about the issue and they don't have the, the it's, it's, um, they don't have, for instance, you know, they're not vote, voting for a person or a party, so they, this sort of consideration don't kick in nearly as much, you know, and, and and so I think I see that as a mechanism of as another mechanism mechanism to reduce this uh, this gap. So you know, I, I would turn it the the argument on its head by saying, well, yeah, I agree that people vote in this weird way. That's precisely because they do, at least in in part, because they do that. I think having a measure of direct democracy is good. So I'm not defending direct democracy. Uh, Against representative democracy, I'm seeing it as uh, something that should we should have at least some measure of it complementary uh, to in, it in, yeah, in complement of yeah 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 well
0: so no that that makes sense uh, um, I guess the 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 point I would make to you is that you know I mean again I think we largely agree on the 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 broad analysis of where we find ourselves right now that that gap between sort of you know, elites doing what they think is right, and the the big gap between preferences there. Um, do you think then that, 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 you know, the traditional non-direct democratic approach, I mean, direct democracy, in a sense, uh, expresses itself through populism, because there's an appetite for this kind of stuff, and then a populist shows up, except I guess we're seeing now that populists now then tap into tribalism rather than issues. That said, you know, Trump um uh, really was responsible for turning our debate on China fundamentally. Um yes. that was that was something that was um yeah, I mean we can talk about that. But he did manage to But do that, that wasn't in response to popular demand. Um it was in I would argue at least in response to, you know, that the that whole concept of American carnage, which I think, you know, resonated pretty broadly uh, early on. Um so it was, you know, again, it's it's difficult, I think, to 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 make a clean di- uh, division between politics and policy is the other part. You know, I mean, I think I take your point that that trying to bridge that gap and maybe doing referenda every so often is not a bad idea. And as you were talking, I, I thought to myself, another thing we talked about, Shadi, was um, the really good thing about um, Roe v. Wade going away is that now it's a political football. It's an issue that can be actually legislated and, and, and worked with on a democratic basis, rather than a right that is written in from on high and untouchable, and then it becomes this sort of totemic identity thing. Which uh, I mean, we're still not there yet, where we can actually. So we're officially
2: seen. saying that that
0: that's good. That's our position. That's my position. I wrote about it. <laughs> I mean, I and I, I do. And remember, I said. It I was by nice
1: seeing knowing you. <laughs> no, no, no,
0: no. I mean, I wrote about it. And I said that uh, uh, that that the. Um, uh, that Democrats stand to benefit from this because they're the first ones to disabuse themselves of this idea of rights. Now, Republicans think that that the right to life is an actual right that's been somehow upheld. That's bullshit. And it's going to get destroyed at the ballot. And so, you know, we're going to get now actually a really uncomfortable compromise somewhere that makes no one happy, which is the best way, which is absolutely the best way where no one's happy. Um, but, but, you know, going back to the question then is, you know, um, how, how confident are you that one can really separate policy from politics in that sense. And again, to throw it out there again, there is that safety valve, even in a representative non-direct direct democratic thing, is that there's political entrepreneurism, that you you sort of see a need and it's met that way. Um, now, again, it's not a perfect match, but then again, you know, on referenda also the these questions are also political. How are they brought up? And and uh, there's all sorts of manipulation of how that's set up and how these questions are asked.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not saying there are no mechanism even in a purely representative democracy to address this problem. I'm just saying on the whole, I don't think it's sufficient. And I think it would just be better if we had a bit more, some uh, direct democracy in the system. Mm. And uh, because, you know, I mean, populism I mean, Trump is... Uh, like it's Trump was possible because you have a bipartisan political system. Like something like this in France would be much more difficult. I do um, want to talk about that. That's... And uh so, you know, it's uh in a way kind of a historical accident. Uh but 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 you know, I don't deny the broader point that, you know, even in a purely representative democracy, you have some mechanism to address the problem. I just don't think that's sufficient. And you know, the stuff you say about Roe versus Wade, uh that that's um that's also related to this because I think it illustrates a process that's been going on for like several decades now in in Western democracies, where increasingly we are, through various mechanisms, like creating uh, um, independent authorities, uh, uh, you know, judges essentially, essentially legislating, uh, you know, supranational organization like the EU in in, in Europe, etc. We're gradually taking away. More and more stuff from what used to be part of the legitimate democratic debates, and essentially in practice, those stuff are gets decided by by the elite, and I think this is a big problem because this is also another way through which this gap, you know, is maintained and increased. Especially has the as because this was less problematic when uh, there was less of a gap between the elites and the population. But as this gap grows and it does, especially if stuff like, again, polarization along educational lines, this is becoming more of a problem. And I think it should be taken very seriously because this, I think, will create problems. It will delegitimize the, you know, we risk killing the magic of election Mm. in a way. Mm. Like this legitimizing effect that elections have we risk killing it if we don't pay attention to that sort of thing. And so we I think we should. And and I see, again, direct democracy as just one way among probably others to address this partially. Mm. I don't think it's a magic bullet or anything, but I do think that uh, this divorce between policy and the preferences of the population in some cases has reached such a level. I mean, no, I think in Europe, uh, uh, immigration is a great example of this. You, know, you have a, an almost total, I mean, it's not total because, you know, if, the elite had their way. There will be much more immigration than there is in in Europe right now. But nevertheless, it's really striking the extent to which, for decades, people just say we don't want it, and and they're just totally ignored. You know. Uh, and I don't think this can go on forever. You know. I mean, in this case, it happened to be on the rich restric- restrictionist side. But I I think the same way about other things where I'm on the side of the elite. So you know, like the European Union is one example. You know, yep. and I, I voted in favor of the referendum, for instance. But I mm-hmm. still think it's a problem. Uh, you you really endangers endanger the uh, the 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 legitimizing effect of of election and democracy if if you ignore that stuff for too long you know when people have a referendum they say okay no we're not going to do this thing and then you you do it anyway and or you know or you have them like you do another referendum basically explaining them well you know. Essentially, you should vote the right way this time. Keep you know, asking it, the you question know? until
0: you get it right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah. And
2: that's why liberal. I think liberal elites carrying the mantle of we love democracy, we're democracy's defenders, is actually kind of absurd. The more that you think about it, I mean, the left of center liberal project, certainly in the U.S., but actually, you know, more broadly, is about limiting the influence of of mass sentiment, because the masses have bad ideas. The masses don't know what's best for them. The masses are anti-immigrant, anti-women, anti-whatever it might be. So it's just, there's something very, there's something very odd about, it, it just, it doesn't fit comfortably to see um, all these Democrats, uh, members of the Democratic Party now saying that they are the ones That you have to vote for if democracy is to survive because part of the technocratic approach has been to as you said philippe um removing decision making from from the people and putting it in the hands of unelected technocratic elites who are experts and who actually you know whether it's the fed or other other sort of um, expert institutions, that's been the shift over the past 20 or 30 years, right?
0: Yeah. The Fed is good, though. I mean, <laughs> that, that's certainly one thing we shouldn't be voting on. I yeah. Think. Well, I
1: mean, you know, you, you can say that and still uh, acknowledge that uh, some measure of non-democracy is also yeah, good because, yeah. it, you know, we do. So it's a question of balance, basically. Like, Because, yeah, I mean, the independence of, of the central bank, I mean, it, it, it has, I think, in my opinion, clear you know, good beneficial yeah. effects you know so yeah you, you you know you can you can acknowledge that but you know there is a again it's a question of balance there is a point where it just goes too far and i think uh but but yeah but and i was totally agreeing with you i mean obviously yeah the the left not just in the us but in in the western world in general increasingly um is the party of educated people and who tend to support that stuff you know because yeah uh, you know they're the ones who are gonna you know from whom from which uh you know, uh, the people are going to populate those uh, authorities, exactly. yeah. you know, uh,
0: uh, courts etc. Are, are taken, are drawn. So, yeah. But yeah. so, you know, to maybe delve into a little bit about France, uh, a friend of mine uh, was in town this week, um, had dinner with him. And we we're talking about, um, you know, the political situation there on the ground. On the one hand. Uh, we
2: want names. Hmm? We want names. Jeremy.
0: <laughs> Jeremy was here. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's coming back. Uh, Great. We got him over at, at on Wednesday. He should come over. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's names, um, um, and he was saying. Uh, I said, you know, can we
2: uh, say his last name? Just no, no, no. Don't oh wow, it's a secret. No, no,
0: I'm just gonna. I'm gonna quote him. Oh okay. Yeah. A Frenchman named Jeremy was in town, and uh, and he said to me, um, he said to me that that um, he's very worried uh, about the situation. Basically, what what was in the back of my mind is, you know, Macron. Squeak through just now. Um, he, I mean, in a good French tradition, is running sort of an imperial presidency. Um, and uh, but unlike in other times, you know, he's founded this party, and there's no one in the party that can possibly take the shoes. Um, and so, you know, it's just it was it. That conversation came back to me as you were just saying. He said, you know, once you travel outside of Paris, he said the social contract's really breaking down. Uh, said so the healthcare system's really messed up. Uh, it's just a lot of stuff. All the stuff that drove the Gilets Jaunes as well initially. It's still there. It's festering. It's getting worse. Um, and there's no one on the sort of sensible center-right to even begin filling that space after. Um, so, again, you know, uh, I don't know, react to any part of that uh, I mean, in, in the I, so light of everything I, we I about. I do agree
1: that there is a real question. I mean, I strongly dislike Macron, mm. but I, I acknowledge that. You know, what do you
2: dislike most about him?
1: I mean, I dislike his policy. I think, you know, I think he has no ideological backbone. You know, so when I say we could do a lot worse is because although he has no ideological backbones, um, he has like a measure of common sense, you know, which, you know, I know it's a low bar, but uh, <laughs> in this environment, you know, that's that's not something you can take for granted. Uh, But, uh, you know, I think his policies during COVID were terrible, for instance. um, I think he has, you know, he has this tendency to like say to different people what they want to hear and, and then he will, you know... F- for instance, you know, to just go with the flow, like, you know, if you take nuclear, for instance, uh, when he arrived for purely opportunistic reasons, you know, because he wanted people in this coalition, the Greens, some of the Greens in this coalition, he just agreed uh, to dismantle one of the uh, nuclear power plant in France, which was working perfectly well, it could have continued running for years without any problem. And you know, now you know the situation, you know, that's something. And also... Uh, didn't, you know, committed to reduce the share of nuclear in the French energy mix for, again, no good reason other than the fact that, you know, it, it's quite extraordinary, really. Like t- 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the the sophisticates in France, and not just in France, but just put in their head that it would be good to reduce the share of nuclear in the energy mix. Why? Nobody really knows. You know, it's just like, it's one of those ideas
0: but that... To- Just, I mean, I'll let you keep going, but just on that one, I just spent about a week in Berlin and, you know, talking to Greens and the, the, actually, I don't know, it looks reasonably stable, but it's probably not that stable as it looks right now, coalition there. What's the difference between Macron looking to try and corral some Green voters uh, with sort of uh, you know, not necessarily sensible, but nevertheless resonant policies and appealing to their policy preferences. I'm not a green. I I I, I think the Greens, especially in Germany, are kind of nuts. But you know, they won, and they won uh, actually doing that. So how how is it different that the Greens win in an election and form a coalition as opposed to a French president, which is a different system than the the sort of uh, traditional parliamentary you know coalition building sort of system? It, it functions somewhat differently appealing sort of to again constituencies with sort of stupid sops which is what politicians always do i mean it, it just i'm not sure
1: it's that different i mean you know it, it is the way it works in france is very different like he didn't have to do this to win he had already won to be yeah fair. okay fair like he was taking those guys uh to a large extent for aesthetic reasons you know like he needed he wanted to have some greens in his government because he wanted to show that he had people from yep. all of the different sides blah 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 uh you know, and that's all. And those guys are just stupid. And, and you know, and but, it's not, you but know... You, but and...
2: not everyone agrees that they're stupid, though, right? I mean, so that's yeah, a subject Yeah, some subjective... people are wrong,
1: but...
0: Uh... <laughs> No, no, no! I, I, but th- this is this is the authoritarianism <laughs> I wanted to pull out of you. But I, I agree. I absolutely agree with you. But 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 I mean, to Shadi's point, right? I mean, and that, that's what I was getting at. You know, I, it's the Greens are a fact. The anti-nuclear movement is a fact in Europe. I mean, I think. But it's But they're it's small. Deeply, you
1: know, they're like there's... In sm- France, they're small. I mean, I'm talking about France. Yeah, yeah but in, yeah. in France, like the. It's very much a minority opinion. I mean, so so it was already back then, you know. So
0: so the you know, the the as you just described Macron's rationale though is he's feeling uh he creates this party, he wins. Uh he's perhaps feeling like he needs extra legitimacy from a broader spectrum because it didn't exist before. So he's trying to buy off again a bunch of a bunch I, of latte drinking, like yeah, I you think know, baristas. I think this is I think I know a lot of people think this is this is why
1: he did it. Mm. And I think like this is not I think this is totally incorrect. I think that people have this idea that that politicians make this sort of a decision always for like cynical reason because they make an like electoral calculation. I don't think that's what happened at all. I think what happened is that the vibe was just that it was good. But really, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that this is what is this happened. What's so
2: bad about the, doing something for vibes though?
1: Well, I've nothing against doing something for vibes in general, but I do when it's disastrous policies. You but, know, okay. as this was, so when when the vibes lead you to do really stupid stuff, then uh I I am against it and I think that's what happened in this. Case.
2: So I'm glad that you brought up COVID because it is worth mentioning that I I came to be aware of you for the first time through your commentary on COVID and you were really Uh, You know, I I think it's fair to say, courageous voice in the wilderness when you were taking the positions that were extremely unpopular because you didn't really care about being canceled and that sort of thing. And
1: well, you know, I can't be canceled from anything, so (laughs) (laughs) there's no risk. You know, it's just like yeah,
2: it's a it's a good point. Um, And I don't know if you want to just say something about I I know no one cares about COVID, but how much of a role did that play? in sort of shaping how you approached questions around democracy and because I think that you would argue if, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this was one of the great blunders of the technocratic elite was how they dealt with COVID, that this actually demonstrated something rotten at the core.
1: Yes. So... I do agree with that. I very strongly agree with that. Like as you say, it's essentially the point I've been making for two years. And you know, a lot of the stuff I've done during this time is like was actually pretty technical, you know, because people, you know, another thing is that I'm interested in is how people use like uh you know s- statistics that's really voodoo magic to legitimize like really uh terrible policies that are not actually supported by the evidence. I mean some of those papers were just like a complete statistical train wreck, you know. When you do, when you know what the the fancy equations mean, which of course most people don't, especially in the media, you can see that it's complete nonsense, you know. Like, and it's just like, and it's not, and so, and so, yeah, I agree that you know, and this is this illustrates a more general. This is a very general thing you know, on so many issues. People will use um, scientific studies that are objectively terrible from a methodological point of view as a cudgel to impose their Uh, political and ideological preferences, Uh, even though it's not, you know, uh, from a purely epistemological point of view, it's not really justified. How
2: self-conscious is it when they do that? This is something I've always been a little bit confused about, because a lot of these people are, I guess, if you look at their kind of pedigree, they are scientifically literate. They do actually, so either they are deliberately obfuscating the reality to get to a certain ideological endpoint, or... They're actually making a mistake. So how cynical, like
1: So it's 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 I think it's a really interesting question. My my take on this is that you have essentially three classes of people. Like if and you know this is based on my experience with like the contacts I have with like economists, epidemic modelers and stuff. So lots of them have reached out to me during this period, uh who have read my stuff. And and you know, some of the public relations I've had to 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 some of my work on this. And I think you have uh one class of those people who are just don't right write stupid. Right? <laughs> <laughs> really, they really don't. understand. I've had surreal conversations with like, for instance, um, a woman whose name is Dominique Cossigliola, who's a, 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 an epidemiologist at the INSEM, which is the most prestigious French medical research institution. And she doesn't know basic statistics. I know it sounds like an exaggeration when I said that. And I know you do. Rightly won't believe me at least at least not rightly because it happens to be true, but (laughs) justifiably won't believe me. But I assure you, it's true. She was saying things to me. I've had conversation. I first remember the first time I had a a, a debate with her. I was like, oh, I must surely I misunderstand what she, she must mean something else from what she's saying because surely she can't really mean something that dumb. Okay, what's the example?
2: Just to give us a little bit of a taste, because I don't know when you say something really dumb, and it sounds to me like you think it's self-evident that it's dumb. So, so-
0: basic errors of modeling statistics, basic errors of just doing statistical analysis. What's the? Basic, where- for
1: instance, one thing I've had, I think she was actually one of of those people. You know, I made the point at some point that, um, when you, when you, when you, when you measure a certain variable with error, which is usually the case. It statistically it reduces it reduces uh, statistical power. That is, that it makes it harder for you to pick up statistically the effect, even when the effect exists. And this is such a completely basic point, you know, like in in, in statistics. Nobody denies this. You will find this in literally any introductory textbook on statistics. Mm. And I was saying that to criticize a study that didn't take that into account, that invalidate the conclusion. And a lot of people, not just her, a lot of people whose job it is to actually do this kind of work were telling me that I was making stuff up. I'm like, what are you, it's, it's really, it's just, I was just dumbfounded because there's just like, you, nobody seriously who knows anything about statistics denies us, it's just such a basic- Okay,
2: but if it's their job to know about statistics and they don't understand something so, so basic to, about statistics-
1: Well, you have to understand that a lot of people, like people uh, underestimate the extent to which being a scientist is like being a plumber. You learn a bunch of recipes. And you, often they don't understand why the recipes are what they are. And this is an example, you know, where they will just, they go through the motion, you know, they've learned a number of tricks and they just go through the motion and they don't really understand deeply why they, it's a good thing or justify that they go through those motions, you just go through them. And I think a lot of the times this is what happens. So, you know, you have this class of people who are just, they're just dumb, but genuinely don't understand what they're talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, but how, oh. just one question before we move to the second and third classes of people, yeah. like, Okay, they're they're dumb, but then at the same time they got a PhD in a in a related field at a prestigious university. They're teaching at the most prestigious French uh, university. They have peer-reviewed journal articles. Like I, you know, to get to that level, presumably, like they must have some redeeming qualities. Like
1: I mean, again, you know, a lot of the time, if you do something basic enough, you know, for instance, take peer review a lot of peer review is about you, you have, I call, I call that scripts. So, you know, most of the time, if you want to publish something, you need, depending on your field, you have a number of scripts. And as long as you follow the script, so you go through the, you do the right steps, you know, in the right order, you'll get your stuff published. You know, it doesn't, you know, you don't really need to understand what you're doing. You just need to apply the recipe. That's why I was making the comparison to like, something like a plumber, although it's insulting to plumbers. Again, so. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, you can get a PhD, you can get stuff published in peer-reviewed journals by just, like, again, going through the motion, doing the steps one after the other. If you follow the recipe, you, you can just, it doesn't have to, It you don't necessarily have to have, like, a deeper understanding of what you're doing. But, you know, I'm not saying that this is all of those people or even the majority, although, to be honest, I wouldn't bet that it's not the majority. Um but so there is this class of people. Then you have people, that's the second class. Uh, the people like Neil Ferguson, for instance. So Neil Ferguson is this famous epidemiologist or infamous oh, epidemiologist. Oh, wait, well, okay,
2: no, I'm not, confused. This,
0: no, it's Neil, not, not Niall. No, no, not Nile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Neil. No. There was a Neil Ferguson. Yeah, this yeah. was confusing during COVID, I remember. Wow. wow. Yeah, 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 that's yeah not tough. Niall. Uh, and so
1: this guy, uh, infamous British epidemiologist, um, he, he's not stupid. Like he's a smart guy. I have absolutely no doubt. And you know, another guy criticized Seth Flackman, who is less famous, but who published uh, was the lead author on uh, on the the most widely cited uh, paper on the the effect of lockdown, which is an absolute train wreck. I mean, the, the not only a train wreck, but also it was intellectually dishonest because they he hit some. Um, uh, you know, some crucial thing that he found in the data that totally undermined the conclusion of his paper. I, I wrote something on this. He hid it. Yeah, I we think, know
2: that he he deliberately. I, I wrote some.
1: I wrote something, and you, you, yeah, there is absolutely no question that they did. It is not. You know, there were several authors on this paper. It's not the only one. I, I you know, I don't know if you can put links. Uh, yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, well, I'll, sure. send yeah. You, I'll send you the okay. thing. You know, on this, it's quite shocking. Uh, and so. Um, So anyway, uh, and so those people, people like that, they're they're really smart, you know, like this guy too, that was Flaxman I was talking about. I have no doubt that this is, this. you know, I actually know people who know him too, so I, I know he's smart. And... You know, I think it's it. You know, people can convince themselves of their own bullshit. Yeah. Very easily. You know, we all do this. You know, it's not just like to some extent everybody does that. It's yeah. We very just easy think to,
0: scientists don't. That's a thing. And yeah, yeah. In but, fact but they, they do yeah. because
1: they're normal people too. Yeah. And, and and you're right that people tend to forget this. They have this. There is this whole mythology about scientists where yeah. they're not really human beings, but they are. <laughs> and um, and so, and so those people they have some um, uh, you know uh broad understanding of the limitations of their methods, for instance, and they will, you know, they follow the script, part of the script, typically you have a limitation section in your paper and you explain, well, you know, of course we reached this conclusion, but here's such and such reasons why, you know, this might be false, etc. And, but because, you know, first of all, because the incentives to think really deeply about this are not there, because again, you don't want, you want to publish as much as possible in prestigious places. And those don't incentivize typically you to think very deeply about the limits of the methods you're using. So they have like some, at a very general level, they have an understanding of the of those limits and they will even talk about it in, in their papers. But because they don't think about it very deeply, in part because you're not incentivized to do so, they don't realize, I think, the extent, the full extent to which it undermines their conclusions. So it's hmm. not that they're unaware of it exactly, but they're not fully aware of the extent to which it, it's... Uh, damning for their conclusions okay. so that's the second class and then you have a third class of people who uh not only are aware of the limitation you know in very general terms but also are fully fully understand the the extent to which it undermines the the con- and so i know a lot of people who have reached out to me who have met during especially during this period but even before that uh especially in statistics uh uh economics uh and also in epidemic modeling who you know they know this stuff is bullshit, but you have to play the game. You know, like you know, you're gonna be. It's it's very similar to what you were saying before about how you know you don't want to be the one admitting to your friends at a dinner party that that you're gonna vote Republican. I mean not I know you you won't, but you know, <laughs> you know. he uh, might he might no no yeah, yeah yeah but he will he will and so soon, uh, soon. inshallah <laughs> uh, and so. Um, it's very similar, you know, they don't want to be the one who's the party spoilers, you know, like they, it's going to give them a bad name and, among their peers. And, you know, they need them. I and those are the guys who are going to decide if they get promotion, if they get invited to fancy conferences, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they're going to say about, you know, they're going to criticize that stuff. But, you know, it's very interesting to to see the contrast because I, I know what they tell me in private and then I see what they say in public. And again, I'm not even throwing the stone at them. I know it's difficult, but... They're much more, much milder in their public comments on that stuff, you know, so they will say the same thing, but like so mildly as to completely dilute the effect. Uh, and so, you know, it won't change anything in practice, but those guys know. So, you know, I think that that's my answer to your question. You know, you have, it depends, you know, people have, you are know, some people are like entirely clueless. You have some people have some understand the stuff, but at, at a very such a general level and like don't really think deeply enough to appreciate the extent to which it undermines what they do. And then you have some people who completely understand it, but, you know, the incentive structure is fucked, so they, they're they not going to say it, you know. But openly. isn't there
2: a fourth class of people who are actually true believers? They are ideologically oriented. They have an end goal that they need to get to, and they will twist the science, the facts, the statistics, as long as they get to where they need to
0: go. Isn't that group two with just like red particularly like over cynically see it's that 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 level of sort of right-wing uh pushback on it i just i i, I don't believe that there's like a class of evil scientists that are <laughs> that are are actually so committed to some sort of liberal i didn't say they were evil though no not evil, but you know what you mean like sort of so committed and ideological that i think C- it's just consciously designed. not consciously trying yeah i think they're
1: just sort of I mean, I, I I wouldn't say it doesn't exist, you know, p- people like, you know, I think, I think it's at the margins, like yeah. people will say occasionally, like this guy was talking about, you know, again, I'll send you a link of the stuff I wrote about this, like, he hit the stuff, but I think he can, conv- I'm sure he convinced himself that it was justifiable somehow. Yeah. You know, I think that's the mechanism psychologically, the way it works typically, it's like more like this and, you know, someone who's like admits to himself that he's basically a piece of shit or, you know, that does this. I don't think this is how it works typically. And, I, you know, it's the same thing with politicians, for instance. People have these ideas, like they see politicians as much more cynical than they are. And I think this is something deeply wrong with a lot of what people think about politicians, you know, like because psychologically, it's very difficult to go around and constantly say things that you're, uh, you know, in your internal forum, like, convinced is false. So what people do is that they very quickly tend to convince themselves of, of
0: yeah. what they're saying. Right, and, right. Uh, I mean, politicians, though, it's not that they're cynical, it's that they're psychopaths. I mean, I think you <laughs> do need like a job. level of psychopathy to be a successful politician. Yeah. You, you, We've watched, not together, but we've both watched uh, the movie Wiener Oh God! Anthony wonderful. Wiener. Have you ever seen this thing? I, I I know the guy, but I haven't seen the movie. Oh, I, I I warmly recommend it to anyone who you know. Wasn't it's a, a work very of Successful art.
1: politician. No, no, but <laughs> it,
0: it's it's an it's an amazing thing because uh, you know the level of that man's psychopathy, and his and he's so open about it, and he he even is. The allure of being filmed at this documentary as everything's blowing up as his marriage is like coming apart as the campaign is just melting down from front of him, he does not let them doesn't tell them to stop filming and and then you know he's just confessing all the time and i think it was towards the end of the film it really struck me you know it's he's talking he very openly talks about that need for validation that uh and you know as you're watching it i just remember just thinking. Bill Clinton, you know, like the exact same sort of stuff. And he basically says, you know, the Internet has opened up a sphere, an infinite sphere of people that one can please and pander to and and get validation from. So these people are, these; those yeah. are not, the politicians... Are not unlike I think scientists, we forget that scientists are normal people. We should never forget that politicians I, are psychopaths. I, I
1: agree, but still they do convince themselves <laughs> of their own bullshit. Although I agree they, that's they, psychopathy to a certain extent, right? I mean Yeah, I mean the extent to which they can do it is psychopathic. Yeah. But I agree with this. I mean a Chirac was the same. as like, you know, he has this thing where his advisor was like, you know, it, They were like before the first time he was elected in 95, there's a story where his advisors are like really down, you know, like really skeptical that he can make it because his right-wing rival was uh, in front of him in the polls at the time. And, you know, people really thought he was, he wasn't going to win and including people in his own campaign. And he was like, he he tells them at some point, you know, guys, I think you have no idea how demagogical I'm going to get in this campaign. (laughs) Like he was very confident because of this. And he was, God, he was, you know, it was Hmm. like. It was this man was incredible in the extent to which he could just you know engage in, in raw demagoguery. So and
0: and and I don't say psychopathy to somehow demean these people. I mean, it's just it's what you need in a democratic system. You need yeah, you need that level. This I mean you need that kind of person. And 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 if the stars align, I'll put it further. Look, I we can we can talk about you know uh, Max Weber and the politics of conviction and you know but but. So I do think you do need some kind of conviction to be able to be a successful leader. You can't be pandering all the time. Going back to my thing, this is why I don't think polls are a good thing. In an ideal world, you want more leadership and force politicians to like find and act on convictions rather than on, on, on constantly pleasing. But ultimately, democracy requires a certain kind of psychopath in our politician to be able to- Okay, to, but
2: you define psychopathy, psychopathy. Psychopathy, I don't know, go on as convincing yourself about something that is not true and deciding to believe in that untruth once you convince yourself of it. Isn't that just human beings? Isn't that just like what everyone more or less is susceptible to?
0: I think it's just, it's politicians are superhuman in that sense. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> maybe you could do it. I couldn't do it. I, I just, I, I I don't have, I mean, another way to put it is is confidence. Self-confidence is yeah, another way yeah. to put it, but there's it's a, to, it's there's to a, levels There's of, a
1: debate in philosophy about whether you, you can actually choose to believe something. And mm. the general view is that no, you can't, but you know, Politicians can. They can. Uh, to yeah.
2: a large oh, come on, guys! People choose to believe things all the time. That is the default human mechanism. Come on. But what's
1: choice? What's think, free will? I don't think they choose. I don't think they choose. I think they manage to convince themselves that something that is convenient to them. But I think it's largely unconscious. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it is true with politicians, but I think that. Um, like, I mean, I don't think it's so much a difference of, of nature of kind, you know, of d- nature as much as a difference of degree, you know, the extent to which the and the ease with which they can do this without feeling like this uh, discomfort that normal people feel when they do that too often, you know, like there's something, you have something in the back of your head that makes you uncomfortable yeah, about the yeah, whole thing. Yeah. And I think typically they won't have that, you know, like they will just... Bulldozer through the whole thing, you know, and like not caring about this. I think that's more of the difference. But uh, yeah,
2: I think wokeness is actually a, not to bring that up, but just to mention it very briefly, because I know that you're a, you're a vocal anti woke person. Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. That's, that's not unfair. Okay, so more vocal than Shoddy? I actually don't know. Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he's pretty. Um,
1: I'm and- more vocal than most people. Most people so. <laughs> Yeah.
2: So there's there's certain things that politicians are going to be more careful. So when you think about the most ridiculous, woke statements, politicians are careful not to be too ridiculous because they know that at the end of the day, there are voters and most voters will not countenance this level of ridiculousness all the time. It's educated elites who can afford to be ridiculous perpetually.
0: Well, we're about to see, you know, the tolerance of the electorate at this point, you know, for this sort of thing. I mean, arguably, that line has been crossed despite all the carefulness. And that's
2: why the Brown backlash is is yeah. um, in process. Yeah. The Browns are, the Browns, the Browns, oh my The Browns
0: goodness. have access to common sense yeah. and truth <laughs> in a way that stupid white people just don't. I totally agree with that. Oh my God,
2: if it's between Browns and white liberals, it's yeah. not even close. But
0: this is why I've said for the longest time, you know, salvation for Democrats make, will come from, from brown people and ideally black people. You need like- Salvation for, wait, for from, from all this insane. No, no, not, from, for, not for the Democratic Party, from what ails it right now, I think we're one cycle away from some really smart uh, young black politician to come in. Shut the fuck up, white people. Just stop. And, and you think will, that's that going to
2: work? You think yes. that that person is going to be? Yeah. Or they or they might tell that young black Democrat
0: like actually you're not woke enough, or actually like this is the. Pr- I mean, yeah, sure. There's going to be the Stacey Abrams that are going to keep doing their their dumb stuff, but you know, Obama was doing it avant la lettre. Really, I mean, he was sort of keeping the Democrats centered. Now it's a different thing. I don't think Obama would be up for it, but like a young, you know, you look at, you look at someone like Eric Adams, who is a not a wonderful and incredible politician, but someone like him who has uh, a bigger scope and ability to do that who can just sort of wreck this stuff, I think that's salvation for Democrats. Basically, to sideline white professionals from the Democratic Party ideologically on social issues, that's it, that's Democrats. I mean, that's- the 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 uh, Rui Teixeira, or however you say his name, his lasting Democratic majority, that's how it gets created. Yeah, Otherwise- I think
2: That all sounds great. I just, you sound like you're a little bit more optimistic about the Democratic Party in that regard than I would be. Because I feel like there's more and more incidences of Democrats eating their young and their people of color if those people don't get on board with a particular way of looking at the world. Like it's it's the Dave Chappelle case, basically. Dave Chappelle is the median black voter, in a way. And just, I guess, funny.
0: yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I, I think I I can believe that someone like that would win, like for instance, democratic primary and being be the the democratic candidate for the presidential election first. I mean, you know, in many ways, Biden was like this. Yeah, know, yeah. But then see uh, what happened. I mean, that's yeah. That, the problem is that a, look, right. the 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 policy elites, they're gonna the you know the the people that fill the cabinets, you know, the the um, they're still gonna be drawn from the class of like educated class. And those, whether they're white or black, disproportionately will have those crazy ideas because if they don't, they're going to get crushed, you know? Mm. And well, so, and, you, know, so you, you, it's one thing to be elected, but the thing is that it's similar to Trump, you know, got, I mean, of course, the problem with Trump is that on top of uh, not having like having personal issue, he, I don't mean, I mean, issue of personnel, not personal issues. I mean, yeah, he yeah. also had personal issues, but uh, is that he's a clown, so he doesn't have yeah. the discipline and knowledge to, right. for, on foreign policy, for instance, the problem is that you don't the, the 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 people to fill your administration to do the kind of thing that you know a serious Trump would have wanted to do they basically there are not enough they of don't them exist yeah. and I think it's the same thing with Democrats where you know you can have a guy like the guy you described win become president but the question is that would that person find enough people uh in in you know in the ranks of like the educated democratic elite? To uh, fill his administration and do, you know, not do this crazy shit, or
0: well, I, here's here's the counter uh, as a thought experiment, not really thought through, but but basically, I think this town in particular is full of very educated, very smart, empty, cynical people who will do anything for a job, and so and 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 even on wokeness, I I I I really don't believe that it's that deeply felt. I mean, I think there's a sort of it doesn't have to be, but that's what I'm saying. So that's why if you get someone up top who is unlike Trump and unlike Eric Adams, for example, someone who has his shit together more and is able to articulate and be forceful about this stuff. And especially if it's a person of color at the top doing it and he or she is capable and forceful in doing it, I think that shit will trickle right down. And a lot of this woke crap will will literally be shed like a snakeskin because right now there's so much both fear and careerist opportunity. And it's just basically sort of, you know, Communist Party sort of style, like you read the book and you just sort of incant, uh, do your incantations and then you're blessed. As you were saying in, in science as well, you know, you just sort of do this stuff and, and there's a script. There's a script for wokeness as well. I mean, I have
1: to say that I'm very skeptical of this because mm-hmm. although I I agree with you that a lot of people like older people, I think there's really a generational divide on this. So, you know, I have like older people, I, I don't mean necessarily very old because like honestly, I've, I see the difference with people who are like just like five years younger than me or something. Mm-hmm. Like.
2: Really, what What do you mean by that? What uh, are the... They're
1: ideological. I I mean, you know, all all committed to the, and sincerely committed to the ideology they are. So what I mean is that people in, um, you know, there are a lot of people who used to be like regular Democrats and now will just utter the right woke pieties, you know, because they know they have to, or they think they have to. Uh, but I, those, I, I agree with you, I, I'm sure it's like opportunism. And those would change their mind given the different incentives. I'm just skeptical that the incentives will change in the way mm. they would need to for, to mm. get this. And the reason why I'm skeptical of this is because when I look at the younger generation, those guys really believe it, you know. Like they're they,
2: bonkers. They, young guy. people are crazy. I mean,
1: I agree. I'm anti young people. Like you know, it's like just they're they they're insane. You know? Wait, wait, like, they wait. Really can you say? <laughs>
0: well, well, I mean, can so, you say so,
2: more about that? What, okay, in your experience, when you say that young people are insane and that you're anti young, what have you seen, and why do you think that happened to them?
1: So in in grad school, uh, I could see how like. My department, but it it was the same thing, and I've talked to many people about this in academia, like departments would change over two or three years. And the way the mechanism through which they would change is that you would have a handful of new grad students who would come in, so the younger ones who just were like, went through college uh, during the Great Awakening. And... um, and so, you know, those guys are like the lower rank of the academic uh, yak. You'd think they wouldn't be able to change much, but they are because they are really, they are true believers and they and they are scary people. You know, like they will, like, f- they're fanatics, you know, basically and fanatics are scary. And even people who have formally a lot more power, it's what we're talking about before. People don't like being disliked and, and dem- demonized by their peers. And when you have people who will like, yell at you that you're, like, the worst racist or sexist or whatever, or transphobic like, it will take a toll on those people because those people also, you have to understand, are very conformist. You know, that people in academia uh, think of themselves as, like, there's this myth, too, of, like, them being, like, the brave anti-conformist. That's why they're in academia and not in the real world, blah, blah, blah. But that's complete bullshit. You know, they're extremely conformist. And so when this happens, like, they're very susceptible to this kind of pressure. And you can have, in two or three years, the... Atmosphere changes completely. And I've seen people who were totally normal. I mean, you know, they were just like old-fashioned. When I say normal people, I mean they were still like liberal, but like old-fashioned liberals who believe, for instance, that freedom of speech construed in the regular way, you know, the way like actual freedom of speech <laughs> is an important <laughs> good thing. And all of a sudden this guy would just like throw that out the window. Uh and, because of fear, basically. And become you know, what? And become an, what what they don't they don't become the worst, like uh uh Walk people you know like but they will utter they will utter the right thing and they will to some extent convince themselves of it um, hmm. because again it's psychologically very difficult to tell yourself that you say this stuff or don't say this stuff that you would otherwise say uh just out of cowardice even though that's the, <laughs> that's the truth um and so they end up like to, you know of course they don't they're not the most extreme but they they go with the flow you know and you can have and this can have like a, a an enormous effect on the atmosphere of a, of a I was talking about like deep reference in a in a university, but you know, I think it's the same thing in a political movement. Mm. I think uh this stuff is, like is extremely powerful and I and it's very deeply felt and sincerely felt by the younger generations. And uh so that's that's essentially why I'm really not that optimistic that uh you you can like get a uh, some kind of like a preference cascade by getting the right people on top and oh, okay
0: preference to cascade but you know I mean even that you're, you're talking there are two things immediately pop mind the Lord of the Flies and and the Cultural Revolution right like That's... young people and that it's 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 this is why you should hate young people always but then it goes back to your your next question is on direct democracy and we're back to to the whole question of asking for preferences and in fact asking for this Cultural Revolution ends you know Mao dies and then basically there's a reassertion of power and like. There's a purge of some sort. That's the other thing that, that at some point will need to happen is, is basically the question is whether this is a minority of true believers. Maybe it's generational, in which case we're in trouble, um, uh, profound trouble, because those preferences will need to be reflected in the political system. Those preferences are in conflict with, with uh, you know, democratic norms on some levels. Uh, those preferences are deleterious to having, a, I think, a a successful society in the longer term. Um but you know there it is. So I don't know what, what But 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 I guess the question
2: that still isn't super I mean I have my own theory about it, but why is it that you go back 5 years or 10 years and there is a new generation that ought, that enough of them have become true believers on a number of these issues. Like that I mean I so my thought is that the lack of resi- i mean you know um the coddling of the american mind safetyism that people who are epidemic of mental illness loneliness all of this requires a certain um they have to pursue certainty and order in, but and then this gives them in a sense purpose meaning belonging identity tribal affiliation so that could be part of it but like what what is like what is driving this particular generation in your view from what you saw like
1: honestly i mean what, what do you mean but what is driving them? you mean what explains why they have they embraces this uh well I'll hear about this, about this like i mean
0: look i you know i i think i'm uh, i know i'm older than him i, I imagine i'm older than you I, but i you know i i i did my philosophy undergraduate uh, deleuze guattari foucault all that stuff was all the rage in the 1990s um, you know, and I, I was avidly reading it in college, and then I left college and I was like, oh, okay, you know, the, the world's different. And, you know, I, they're still on my shelf, quite frankly. I, I haven't dipped into it in quite some time. Um, what's changed that that now, that hothouse, which is always a hothouse, always for undergraduates and, you know, even grad students, to say I had insane grad students teaching dumb shit. I remember some of it. Now in retrospect, um, why is, why did it bleed out now?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I have to say that I don't have a good explanation for this. It's something that I've been wondering myself a lot because you're right. You know, I think, you know, when you read, you know, there's this uh, uh, teal and this other guy, I forgot, wrote this book in the 90s about the, uh, at the time they called it the political correctness movement at Stanford. Yeah. And it's really striking. I read that stuff and I was like, it was really striking how similar it was to a lot. You know, a lot of the stuff that we present that a lot of people at least present as new now. It already happened. it like, there, yeah. You know, like the the black-only dorms that kind of stuff. You know, it happened then, you know. Yeah. But you're right. You know, the key difference is that at the time, it didn't bleed out. It mm-hmm. stayed. It was in university and then it just died. First, yeah. Nobody knows exactly why. But, but the thing, it never bled out. That's also what makes me less uh, optimistic is that this time it did bleed out big time, you know, Mm. and, and I don't see how we put back that genie in that bottle, you know, that's, Mm. and, but as to why it did this time, I I, I don't know, you know, I mean, one theory, and I don't know if I believe it, you know, but it's just a theory that's not entirely implausible. Decline of Christianity. The, well, yeah, I mean, that's this one I'm less convinced of it, you know, because I come from a country where the decline of Christianity happened like basically 200 years ago and, uh, and we're much less woke than you. So uh, good point. Good point. Uh, so, you know, that's why I don't really buy that one. But uh, in fact, I think that there are like a lot of like stuff in, in wokeness or people. Uh, in, in many ways, like, deeply Protestant in character. Yes, That's yeah, a, yeah, And so, uh, but I think, you know, one theory that is not entirely implausible, although I don't know if I buy it completely and I don't know how much it explains, is that social networks, basically, mm, yeah. made a big difference. And, and, you know, I can certainly think of many mechanisms that would, like, in, encourage this kind of, like, purity spiral, for instance, this kind of stuff. You know, you can see how social media would, like, make that worse. But I... Mm whether this is sufficient to explain the thing, you know, like the, the, the great awakening. I really like this expression. It's a blogger on the right wing blogger was spotted Todd who came up with it. And then, you know, Ecclesias took credit for it, but, uh, that's that's who Ecclesias, what (laughs) Ecclesiastes um, you
0: know, so on the social network thing, God, who was I having this conversation with the other day? Um, Again, it's it's sort of tidy because I I think this gets us back to the beginning of the podcast in a lot of ways. Um, What we had before social networks was an ability to forge consensus uh, by not empowering people to actually be so individualistic to teach themselves and to think that their opinions matter it was a much more conformist society without social media because social media empowers the individual. We lionize the individual. As a result of social media, we think that if Elon destroys Twitter, this will be a grave blow against democracy because people won't have their voice in the global public sphere. That's horseshit. Democracy has existed without a global public sphere. Newspapers, the actual public sphere are mediated by elites they keep kooky voices out they don't empower everyone to have their say we some newspapers local newspapers devote a small corner to take letters from the peasants but it's rarely it's rarely that they're actually elevated to the whole thing so social media in its over democratizing I would I would put to you is actually creating this sort of thing it, it's driving us towards a kind of sense of, in the importance of direct democracy that the individuals' preferences matter. Rather that society used to function by shaping shaping societies and creating collective preferences. And that's now been But he's just saying uh, but good. but
2: Okay, but he's just saying that there's actually more conformity in certain ways. So you're saying- Yes,
0: yeah, so that's
1: uh, I agree with part of what you're saying and yeah. I disagree with part and and, it, and this yeah, gets yeah, at little I mean,
2: mean what what he's that's that's happening of lower levels of academia and I suppose on Twitter, too, is really an intense conformist drive. These are people who don't want to rock the boat. They aren't actually expressing their individual colors ideologically. So, they're falling in line. So,
0: so, but you know, that that is the fascinating thing, right? I mean, our, our friend Jamie Kerchick would, would talk about this a lot when talking about wokeness and talking about it as sort of, you know, a cultural revolution sort of moment that, you know, ultimately it's it's when the revolution sort of gets a, you know, Mao lost control of it, that it just, it it spiraled out of control with all of its excesses. And there was no, nothing to point to necessarily by the end of it, when it was just at most murderous and most crazy. So there is this kind of mob me- mentality that I think also feeds into that. What I'm getting at is okay. Maybe let me rephrase it uh, in a different anti-democratic tone, <laughs> and it would be this, which is that 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 social media um, basically we had. Uh, I think we had more serious elites that were trained as elites. Uh, I think there's the other phenomenon of meritocracy that that also undermines this. What if you don't have like an elite class that feels a certain kind of sense of stewardship and ownership of a society that then cultivates a certain kind of ethos that percolates down? I think we've been we've been on a on a steady slide of undermining all of that for a while now. Social media plays a huge role in that. I would argue. Yeah. Um, so
1: I mean, I I do agree that. S- so you know, w- in one way, you know, it's, this is where I agree with Shadi is that I think. Uh, social media, in effect, has been used as a, a new way of uh, imposing conformism. So this is true, but I think where you're right is that um, it has also been a way uh, for it has also like destroyed part of uh, the cons- you know destroyed consensus building that that used to exist because now you have you can have multiple it it, it has allowed the existence of multiple sources of of uh, uh, authority. Mm. And I think that's, and, and then you have like extreme conformism in those different, so it essentially creates like different universes. It used to be we were all in the same universe. Because, that's it, that's Because it. there was only, there was only uh, the organs of authority were like, uh, uh, there was only one block basically in a way, you know. And now you have, so you have like, uh, you know, for instance, the 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 traditional media were like fairly homogenous. And so there were, the, the scientists would say something and it would be like, uh, spread through the media, would not question it. And then, you know, and people would like then not question it either. Yeah. And now you have uh, social media and the internet have, have a lot for the existence of several sources of, of uh, competing sources of, of, of authority. And then within, and so it creates instead of, we used to live in the same universe. That's it. Now we live in different universes. And inside those different universes, you have extreme push for conformism. Mm, where mm. like people get socially punished very yeah. harshly. I think that's right. If they... Uh, you know if uh if they don't toe the line basically in that universe. But so so I agree, you know, I'm I'm not but you know um at, at the same time, you know, like I, I I'm not quite convinced but by your, by your uh, uh making a link between this and direct democracy because this is still an elite phenomenon in a way you know like you mm-hmm. know I mean it, you do have it it's or elite you know elite is not perhaps not the right term it's people are on Twitter educated people about stuff. educated or not even necessarily educated or mostly educated but essentially crazy people and by crazy people i mean people like us you know yeah, we yeah. are like yeah. we <laughs> are because people i think you know people like us typically don't understand that they don't understand the extent to which we are fucking weird yes like no, of course normal people would for never instance, do, don't have those conversations they of don't course. care about yeah, this yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, and yeah. and they don't care you know like uh they won't care about those debates we've been having like during COVID about all oh, this is study right or stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is like, or, you know, follow the polls. Or, you know, you have like people, like political commenters who's like, oh, this guy, you know, during the an election campaign say, there was this debate and this guy says that it's going to totally kill him. And yeah. you're like, normal people have no idea what the guy said. Like first they didn't watch the debate in all likelihood. Even if they did, they will have forgotten the next day. Yeah. It's like, you know, so we are extremely weird and the people engaged in this kind of stuff I think that's are right. very yeah. weird. It's just that now you have like, within these weird people and those weird people used the ex- there were weird people too before too, but now you have multiple sources of, of authority and mm-hmm. this has made, been made possible by social media and you have competing but- sources of, and, and then they, you know, this can trickle down to more normal people uh, eventually, but where the most of the action happens is really a- among those, like, again, this group of extremely weird
0: people, which we are part. And, and, um, and argue, yeah, but I, arguably it's about to trickle down in elections and we'll see how the normal people yeah, yeah. react to it anyway. Well,
2: I suppose the question is the causal relationship. Does education lead to weirdness or does weirdness lead to education? I mean, we have seen I mean, we have an unprecedented number of people who have PhDs who are extremely well educated. I mean, high, high levels of educational attainment could be part of the problem. Education makes people crazy. Twitter if makes it, people crazy. if it no but like if if you have a lot of education, there's probably a threshold where it can like fuck up with it can fuck with your mind it can actually have but,
0: but again there were, these people that class has existed for a very long time there's just I,
2: more of than I
0: mean I guess so but I think it, again they've been empowered by this these these horrible things like Twitter I know you love Twitter but like I don't are,
2: see uh, well, I mean okay, does educate does too much education and we've actually played around with this idea no. like where we've sort of joked that you know it's time you know the case against education yeah if like if we want to really address radicalization to, and polarization shoot people with
0: glasses. I, uh, <laughs> let's get back to let's get back to first principles here
2: <laughs> well okay well so, I mean I mean
1: <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm not convinced that um, I mean, you know, I think it's mostly self-selection, but uh, because uh, education, um, it's not just self-selection, you know, like it's, uh, you also have like, I think peers do a lot of damage, you know, like if, uh, and so when you have more people who get higher education, you're going to have more weird people, but I'm not so convinced that the among people who do get a higher education, you know, it's like um, uh, the, 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 the proportion of crazy people has increased it's just like where we have more people who have access to higher education so you're going to have more crazy right. people yeah, even yeah, if that's right. not the case um and uh when you say crazy are you suggesting that th- I,
2: I don't i'm not being flippant here are you suggesting that there is a mental illness issue
1: no i mean i i'm using crazy in a loose way you know i don't think i don't think it's you know because there I
2: mean, does as far as i can tell from being on twitter mental illness does seem to be an issue no
1: i mean certainly uh, um, there's a certain kind of um of activists where I'm quite convinced that you know where like mental illness is much more prevalent
0: than, than but I I, 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 I do motivation. think Twitter exacerbates all of the sort of you know latent mental mean who are actually reasonably balanced people maybe a normal life i I think Twitter, Twitter in particular, but social media in general, I think exacerbates these sorts of things. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I I agree. I think this is plausible. You know, like in fact, I'm convinced this is true. What I'm just not sure is whether it's enough to explain the the general yeah. phenomenon, of yeah, the yeah, Great yeah. Awakening, for instance. Like yeah. this is not this is what I'm not sure I buy completely. Mm-hmm. But I have no doubt that, you know, it does make things worse. Again, you know, the question for me is really, like, is that all there is to it? You sure, know, like, I, sure. I don't know. Uh, it may be, you know, I'm not even saying it's not the case. You know, I think it's not an implausible hypothesis. I'm just saying I don't yeah. know. Uh, but but yeah, you know, I and mean, it's, it's a different thing, you know, like because you can, like, we are, like I said, weird. I don't think, uh, I mean, you know, not that I don't know you particularly <laughs> well, but, you know, I I don't get the feel that you're, like, the kind of crazy I was referring to. Like, you know, like mentally unwell in the way some of those people I see are, you know, like there are people, on, one thing that Twitter taught me and, you know, I, I really like Twitter because I've met so many interesting people on it. And, you know, I learned a lot of things, but it can also be uh, kind of like demoralizing in some ways. Although on the whole, I, I do like it a lot. But one thing I learned to tw- on, with Twitter is that there were a lot more of sociopaths than I thought before. <laughs> like I say that very seriously. You know, I see people, yeah. there are people on Twitter. I see how they reply to me. Oh, so, they will like, first one, one example of sociopathy I see a lot on Twitter is someone who will like make shit up about stuff I said you know for so- like literally they will or you know sometimes it's even worse sometimes they will co-tweet me so people can actually see what I said <laughs> and then they will say something completely different from what you know even though people can say it, they don't care you know like they, they can openly lie about people to defame them they don't care you know and then you know there's one time when, when a guy did that and I was like I replied to him I was like I don't understand how you can be like you know, puts this kind of bad face on display. You know how you cannot. You're so unable to disagree with someone without distorting what he said. For instance. And the guy replied and said, "Oh, but I actually think it's a good thing to distort what your <laughs> opponent say." Like he was, to- he was like, "That is." He was totally unashamed. You know. And so this is the kind of guy I'm saying. Like this is really. I'm not kidding when I say that those guys are sociopaths. You know, there are, there are a number of guys. I know. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind if they could, they would poop me up against a wall and I would be killed. You know, like I'm, I'm not saying that to joke. You know, I mean, no, no, I am, we no, trust me. We joking, believe this, but, but we, we actually but I know have a true, list
2: you know? of people that were like, if they had the chance, they would kill either me or Demir or both of us, depending on the person. Both,
0: but, yeah. but you know, the other part, the, the other part, I, I don't have this list. You haven't shared it with me, but, but the, I mean, it's, it's on it. one,
2: but you, uh, there is one person who shows up on this list repeatedly.
0: I don't know who that is. Okay, we'll well, let's, let's, let's not let's not irk them and have, have us have us be killed. No, but the other part of it is though, you know, the other phenomenon on Twitter is um, is the persecution complex, and you see this so much uh, among journalists also. Like oh, I am getting mobbed and whatever. You know, I, I I sort of flippantly tweeted the other day. I said if if I get if I get a death threat from a muted account. Uh, and I and I don't receive it like it's if a tree falls in the forest and it doesn't because that's the thing when when someone starts at me I say something really nasty to them and just mute them and I imagine in my head I'm taking a sock and shoving it in their mouth and they still have to listen to me that's deeply it's satisfying amazing, to yeah. me and and but the thing is is you know I have no idea I have muted literally thousands of people at this point literally thousands I just go mute people all the time actually my Twitter experience is actually probably kind of impoverished at this point because like i feel like everyone's (laughs) muted i've I've muted a good chunk of of of, uh of perhaps interesting accounts at this point um but you know i mean that's the other part of it and i think that's a healthy response i don't need to engage with with psychopaths and and people i guess they don't really bother me
1: like uh but, but they, yeah, they don't really bother me. I'm just baffled, you know, because, no. like, I've never blocked anyone, for instance, on Twitter. I've never blocked. Oh, I avoid I've blocking. Have, I would never I would want never to block. give
2: them the privilege to not hear my exactly. amazing ideas. Like, they will never and escape And that's why I'm muting that. is
0: so it's sadistic, yeah, it is. It's really, incredible. Because it's like, you'll have to listen to me. But, but I, I, you don't I, exist. I you literally do not exist to me. I, have I actually made you disappear. I've mitted
1: one person once and I was because I couldn't help like replying to their arguments when they were replying and I couldn't help and I had work to do and I, I didn't trust myself. So it was yeah. kind of like a yeah. uh, Ulysses thing, you know, like a, a Odysseus thing, you know, putting yeah, yeah, wax yeah. in his in his ears, you know. Yeah. Well, we, um but well, that's the one time. But like so no, they don't bother me, you know, because they're so crazy that you know, I can't take them seriously because they're fucking insane. Yeah. But um they don't. It's not really that they bother me. It's just that I'm surprised they exist, or that there are so many of them. You know, that's the okay. Thing. But it, it really came as a surprise to me that. But
2: was- these aren't just crazy people. These are they're prominent journalists and commentators, and this is happening to me like on a somewhat regular basis now, where they'll literally do what you just said. They'll say like Shadi said X, Y, and Z, and my tweet will be there, and there is no evidence of me having said. Said thing, it's just like remarkable. It's like literally, I'm like, I never said that.
1: Can you? Sometimes they make they make up really specific too. That's (laughs) the thing. That's the thing I find really weird. Like the other day, i was like, oh, this guy spent the whole of February making fun of Ukraine and making Molotov cocktails to fight the invaders. I'm like, where the hell did that come from? You just like, it's so weird, you know. Because I understand lying about someone you don't like. You know, I don't, I wouldn't do it, but like, I kind of. But what I find really weird is how people make up those like really specific, complicated, yeah. uh, complicated and specific stories, you know. And I'm like, where does that come from? But like, you,
0: what's the thought process of the other part? Does that? The other part of social media is that um, is anonymity, and the lesser form of anonymity is the disintermediation. Basically, you know. I mean, I think like you know, you can meet people on Twitter, and it's fine. But debates get really nasty because you don't have to look someone in the face, like, and say. Shoddy is a fucking racist. Like, say that to his face. No one says no one that, that say for the that. most
2: part to my face. No in one would say life. that to your face yeah. in
0: real life. Yeah. And they'll they'll say it now on, on Twitter. They're saying it recently. I feel like there's an uptick in you that. You know,
2: sometimes when people who have like, I think attacked me in really personal terms and I see them at a party or some social gathering, I can almost see like a little bit of shame from them. Yeah. That they can not even they can't even look me in the eye, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sad to see. Okay, we do we do have to wrap up because Demir has a dinner to get to. I do have one last question for, for Philippe, which is, it is actually like a little bit of a puzzle and maybe it'll be helpful for our listeners to hear what you have to say. Um, you know, you are, as far as I can tell, at a PhD program in a top university how have you been able to escape the group thing? How have you survived? How do you get away with I mean, saying what you say?
1: Well, it, it doesn't really apply anymore because I'm not there physically anymore. Like yeah. I've, I've left a while ago. I live in France. So I'm not. But, you know, I, I was saying the same thing before. So it, it did apply, you know, <laughs> when I was still there. Um, I guess... Uh, I, I think, I'm not sure, you know, I mean, I think one, one reason, one thing that occurs to me, you know, in, in answer to that question often is that I do have a bunch of friends who are normies. Like, in fact, my best friends uh, in France uh, are total normies, and, and they're not weird people like us, friends. Like, they don't care about any of that shit. Hmm. So, even if What million- do normies
2: care about... <laughs>
1: It's like the the rugby game, you know, in in, our, in Bordeaux where, you know, I go or stuff like this, you know, or oh. just our, our next, like, dinner party or that sort of thing, you know, just... But like, what do
0: they talk about at the, the dinner th- party? Presumably they're the not rugby. talking about rugby. Well, do I mean, people talk about did, that at French know, dinner you, parties? Did you know that the World Series is going on right now, Shadi? No. <laughs> the See? World
2: Series of rugby?
0: Yes. No, baseball ass. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Okay, I wasn't
2: even joking. Wait. I know you weren't joking. That's why I brought <laughs> it up. By I, this, no one has talked about this.
0: My my good friend Mark Schleifer, who I'll see at dinner in a few minutes, he's a big Phillies fan. I'm just surprised Phillies none of this is filtered Aspergers. to like my exactly. You're a weirdo like me. I don't care about the stuff. Did either, you know
2: that the World at. Series of baseball was being played?
1: No, because I think American sports are fake sports. So yeah. Yeah. but I but I like the real sports. You know, yeah. like the ones Rugby. we have in Europe.
0: But uh, but I mean the equivalent of a normie is someone who would be actually following and most yeah. of America actually. I mean, and, and, cares and you have you know. So,
1: like I'm I'm not a normie but I do like this stuff you know so and I know several people who but you but, know some you know, of your uh, best friends are uh, yeah. normies uh, but, but, but 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 my point yeah is that you know because so you know it's it's much harder when all of your f- group of friends they're all in the same world you know cuz in that case if you say unpopular things uh you know it's not just that people are going to be angry at, at you that you're going to basically destroy the basis of your social life yeah, <laughs> that's, um, yes. that's right yes and that's why you know and, and i think one reason why um i think i'm better able to to uh to do this is because i have my my social life does not depend on being liked by people in like us basically yeah, yeah. um i think that's one reason i mean i don't think that's the only reason i think i also i definitely have like kind of a contrarian strict so if i'm in a room and everybody says white it makes me really want to say black uh that's true you know although i i don't think it's true because people accuse me of that some that i i say what i say uh just to oh people people people. say the same thing about me well it's 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 really not true everything i say i say you know because i really believe it and like is you know but so it annoys me when people say that but you know at the same time i i do feel like i do have the the I, you know I acknowledge that I have like this kind of uh impulse to some extent and um and also I don't know I mean I guess people have different levels of tolerance for uh I guess it's like level of disagreeableness and I feel yeah. pretty high on this I just I like you know for instance I like even like very like intense debates for instance it doesn't bother me in fact it's not just that it doesn't bother me you I enjoy actually it enjoy it and and people you know and it's quite striking and I have Well, I don't have the, I don't have time for this anecdote, but you know, I can, (laughs) uh, it's very long, but uh, you know, I have like, people are like very, a lot of people are like, even those people are really insane in person. So it goes back to what you were saying too. They're like really meek. Whereas like, I don't think, you know, and I've several people have have told me this, everybody who's met me so far who knew me from Twitter and met me on person has has told me that I was the same on Twitter as I am on person. And I think it's true, but that's definitely not the case for a lot of those people, Mm -hmm. you know, like there are people who are like really totally sociopathic and extremely <laughs> hostile online but then when you meet them they are extremely meek in a we mm. in a way that's weird to the point of being disappointing sometimes because I, <laughs> I was this one time you know it's like i don't have time again to say the whole to tell the whole thing but where i was really like uh coming to a meeting for a fight you know because i was really ready for it and jen's like it's a letdown it was totally a letdown because nobody it's not just that's they were not like aggressive enough in defending their positions that they didn't even want to defend their position like they mm. nobody spoke up you know against my position which was just so weird you know like and then i got into a bunch of trouble that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, oh. because, all right. uh anyways that's yeah. we'll save that for episode, next time for, next for part episode, two yeah. Yeah, for it's sure it's a, a long story <laughs> all right <laughs>
0: philippe thank you so much this is really good thanks for having me yeah, I was yeah great. thank uh, you
2: but-